Welcome to the ENA Podcast with your host, Dan Campana. This is the ENA Podcast, and this is Dan Campana, the Director of Communications with the Emergency Nurses Association, welcoming you to our latest episode. And you probably, hopefully, caught the last uh, couple of episodes, which we did live from San Diego with uh, some of the exciting people and things that were going on during Emergency Nursing 2023. But what inevitably happens after we come back and everybody heads back to their home areas uh, after conference and after General Assembly is we hear all these other little stories that kind of pop out about people's experiences, uh, not just in San Diego or where conference is held, but also about the journeys back and forth. So I'm going to welcome tonight's guest, Marcy Ducre, who's a uh, ED nurse at a critical access hospital. And what she tells me is the most northernmost hospital in New Hampshire. And uh, Marcy, welcome to the ENA podcast. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Marcy, uh, you know, your story starts with becoming a first-time delegate to General Assembly. Uh, talk a little bit about why this was something that, uh, that you wanted to do uh, this year and a little bit maybe about your connections to ENA. Okay, well, I've been an ENA member, I believe, since either 2003 or 2004. That's when I um, got my uh, certification in emergency nursing. Um, and ever since that time, I, it's always been a dream of mine to attend a national ENA conference, um, of which I had never had the opportunity to do up until this year. About a year ago or a year and a half ago, um, I started to participate, participate in the state council meetings in New Hampshire um, via Zoom. And a couple of times we've also met in person. And uh, that connection is what came to bring me the first opportunity that I had to go to the national conference as a delegate um, for New Hampshire. When you talk about being at the hospital that's the northernmost in New Hampshire, and you talk, and you look at, you know, okay, that's about as far away as you can get in the continental U.S. from San Diego. So, um, you know, obviously a lot of excitement for you to make the trip out there, but. Uh, the excitement of going to GA and being a delegate and attending, you know, conference for the first time uh, was also usurped a little bit by some excitement that you had on your way to San Diego, I understand. Yes, the trip out there involved a couple of different flights. Um, my first flight took me from Manchester, New Hampshire to Chicago, Illinois, and then from Chicago, we picked up another flight that was um, going to San Jose, California, and then on to San Diego. The first flight went without any um, problems. Nice and quiet and for you. Nice and quiet. Yep. <laughs> and uh, the second flight, we were we were settled in. My husband was with me on the trip. Um, I had my earbuds in. I was watching a movie. And my husband, however, only had one earbud in and apparently over the intercom system came a, is there a medical professional on board? Having flown a lot um, and actually with some other healthcare friends of ours, um, my husband would often hear me and um, one of our ED providers, who's a very good friend, we've talked a lot about one of these days, there's going to be an emergency on a plane we're on. They're going to need us and we're going to save a life. <laughs> um, and so he took no time at all to uh, reach up his right hand and push the little button and then kind of jostle me next to him and say, hey, 
hey, they need a nurse. You got to get to work. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about how this all kind of comes together because, you know, from Chicago to the West Coast, that's a four hour flight. How far into it are you at this point? And, you know, really what, you know, what's the scene look like? Because obviously it's a confined area. And once they start to put things out there, all passengers are starting to become alert to what's happening. What, what are some of the next things after you kind of get nudged, you know, to say, hey, you know, heads up, this is going on right now. So I, I kind of jumped up real quick, not thinking. I took my earbuds out of my hand. I put them in my pocket and we were in the very back of the plane. So I, I knew that we had to go. I had to go forward to get to wherever it was. And it was quite a bit forward. Um, okay. And there were uh, several flight attendants there. Um, the woman that I needed um, to check out, she was in the middle seat. There was a gentleman in the end seat and we asked him to move to another seat. And so I could sit next to the woman and near the window was this woman's daughter. Okay. Um, initially, I just started out with, you know, kind of the first steps that you would take in any um, episode that you come up upon that you don't know what's going on. I was looking to see if she would respond to me, which she would not. She, um, I started to feel for her pulse. I could see that she was breathing. I could not feel a radial pulse. I could feel a weak central pulse. The daughter was telling me a little bit about her as far as meds and allergies and whatnot. And the flight attendants, as I said, were right next to me. Um, I had never taken part in a medical emergency on a flight before. However, I knew from talking to another nurse who had done it years and years before that there's usually a medical kit on board. Um, I asked them what they had. And so we took some oxygen and we put some oxygen on her and I could tell pretty right off that she was going to need some fluid. I asked them if they had IV supplies and in their kit, they, they opened it up and there were three separate compartments and one of them was IV supplies. So I opened up um, the materials in that kit and um, started to figure out what I had available to me. I was going to pause oh. you there because I it, what what I wanted to ask is um, you're you're describing this very calmly. What was kind of going on inside of you? Because you've done this probably countless times, you know, in your your career. But when you're outside of the ED element environment, what uh, what's kind of going through your mind or is all of this just natural instinct and adrenaline kind of pushing you through to, to do the thing systematically, kind of triaging in the air, if you will? Uh, is that what's kind of guiding you at this point? Um, yeah, I think so. I did. I felt like I did a few things in retrospect. Of course, retrospect is 2020, right? <laughs> right. Um, and I think to myself, hmm, maybe they, I could have done some steps first. But again, like you said, there's adrenaline involved. And I think when I was walking up to the patient in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to have to start doing CPR on this person, um, you know, because I, di I didn't know sure. what to expect. And so you sometimes your mind jumps to the <laughs> were. I've never had to deal with this before. Um, I'll do much better the next time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was kind of surprised, like when I got there and I could see, you know, she was pink, she was warm, she was dry. I could see that she was breathing. No, she wouldn't respond to me. 
And so I knew that I needed to take some steps to get her stabilized. So fortunately, this medical kit has some of the things that you were looking for. You mentioned, you know, IV supplies. Um, so go, go ahead, kind of pick it up from there. You, you see that you've got what you need there from an IV standpoint. What are your next steps there? And, you know, how do you continue to, to process and, and assess and do what you can, knowing that you're, how far into the flight were you at this point? We were not very far into the flight at all. Maybe, okay. maybe a half an hour, 35 minutes. Okay. Um, because I wasn't very far into my movie. So. <laughs> There's your time <laughs> reference, right? <laughs> yeah, that's my time reference. Um, and I, I should say, too, that before I even asked for the IV supplies, they they had given me a blood pressure cuff um, and a stethoscope. And so I I was on her um, the patient's right side. So I put it on her right arm, and I was trying to listen for blood pressure. I did not know that the noise in the airplane would totally prevent me from that stethoscope being usable at all. Oh, wow. I mean, it, it, it wasn't a high grade stethoscope either, but, um, I just, I just couldn't hear a thing. Um, <laughs> so that's when I just kind of, you know, took, I took the stethoscope off. They were asking me for a blood pressure and I just said, I can't get one. I said, I'm going to need IV supplies. Um, they handed me this kit which I opened up and it had some tape and it had um, a couple of catheters, um, some scissors, um, IV tubing. I had to ask one of the flight attendants to hold the 500 cc bag of fluid up. I knew I needed to kind of get all of that equipment ready to go before I put this catheter into this patient. Um, they didn't have some of the extension type sets that we have in hospital. Um, that you can kind of hook up and then go and hook up the rest of your stuff and get it ready. Um, so I know I needed my IV tubing to be primed and ready because I needed to hook that right to the catheter. It probably feels like it's going much faster than it really is in reality. But, you know, um, what, you know, are you, are you getting a sense of, are people watching, you know, what, what's kind of happening around you? Or are you so focused in on not knowing that you don't have everything you would have in a traditional ED setting? Uh, are you thinking about what's happening around you or just trying to problem solve your way through this to make sure you're assessing and treating and doing everything that you can in that moment, knowing that it's pretty it's about as austere as you can get? Yeah, I think I think I was pretty focused in on trying to make sure I had all the devices that I ready and that I was going to need to get the treatment to the patient. You know, when you open a kit you know, I've worked in the same place for 25 years. I know exactly what supplies I have. So when you open a kit and you have in your mind what are missing supplies, you have to think outside the box. Yeah. And and it's not really that outside the box, um, but it's just a, having to take the steps to think through a, like, okay, they, they don't have IV advanced dressings to hold this catheter in place. I have to cut tape and have that available and um, to keep my IV in place. Um, you know, I need to prime this IV tubing and have it ready to go because that's going to go right to the catheter. I don't have like this little um, extra little section of tubing that I can hook up to the patient first and then go from there. Um, I was pretty focused in on that, I think. I mean, I could, the, the patient wasn't making any noise or flinching or doing anything like that, but I certainly was very cognizant to um, the daughter that was sitting next to her. And I, I think I was probably telling her like, 
okay, I just need to get this fluid ready and get the fluid going through the tubing so it will be ready when I get the IV in your mom so that I can get that fluid to her. I think I was making some explanations to her. Okay. Um, so once you've got that IV set, you know, you're obviously kind of assessing every step of the way. Um, what, you know, what, what happens next? What's really in your, your mind and what are you looking for to see whether this is, you know, elevating to another level of, of critical, you know, a critical situation or some stabilization? What, what, what's your, what's your sense of what's happening as you're starting to move into that next phase? Well, so I, I did go ahead and get the IV in. We got the, um, tubing hooked up. Um, I had the flight attendant hold it as high up as she could. I opened the fluid wide open. I had kept the blood pressure cuff on the patient because um, that's what I used as a tourniquet when I did the IV. And then of course I let the pressure out of the blood pressure cuff. Um, I also checked out, I asked to see what else they had in their emergency kit. So I could see that they had some um, rescue medications. Um, they also had some airway supplies. They had an AED. Um, the patient really wasn't doing anything to respond to me yet. So I, I took the scissors that were included in my IV kit and I actually, I actually cut off the top of her, um, her two bra straps. I told her daughter that I wanted to put the AED pads on her just in case she, um, started to deteriorate, um, that we'd be ready. And so she seemed to understand that. Um, we did that. Of course, the woman is still sitting up in her seat. So I, I kind of have my left leg crossed over my right leg and um, her arm kind of spread spread down my leg to keep it straight so that IV fluid was running in as fast sure. as it could. Got those steps done, just double checking that you know her oxygen was working, the IV was still flowing had the AED on, um, started to take blood pressures palpating um, since I couldn't hear through the stethoscope. I did try a, a few more times with the stethoscope and I just was like, no, this just is not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> There's too much noise or vibration or whatever it was. So I palpated and our first palpable blood pressure I got was 70. I believe the next one was like 82. Okay. And then the next one was like 98. And it was about then that the woman was starting to stir. Um, she kind of flickered her eyes open and she's looking at me. And of course, I'm kind of holding her arm there. And um, and she's just says something to something in the way to me of, oh, uh, dear, I didn't mean to be such a bother. <laughs> and I, I just said, I knew her name um, because her daughter had told me. And so I said her name and I said, you know, it's my absolute pleasure to take care of you today. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're now talking to me. So that's got to be a, a, maybe a different type of relief uh, for you, you know, compared to if you had a moment like that, you know, in the ED or something rolls through, you know, rolls in and you're trying to get somebody stabilized. You know, I'm sure that there's a, just a different sort of breadth of, Okay, we we've turned a corner here, um, you know, and, and being able to converse with her, uh, does that start? Uh, you know, what what does that do for your mindset in that moment? And you know, thinking about okay, well, we still got like three hours of flying to do here. Um, what what sort of the next thoughts after you had a chance to converse with her a little? Oh, absolutely! I was I was so relieved. Um, of course, you always want 
the care that you give to um, make somebody feel better. However, you know, I, I think it was kind of at that point, I realized how much the heat was on. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was, you know, in your regular setting, you're always working with other people or you have other people available just by clicking a button and the flight attendants were great. Um, but I was kind of surprised that I was the only healthcare provider that responded. So I kind of realized at that moment, I'm like, oh, phew, like, you know, she's talking. Um, I could hear the flight attendants were asking the daughter if they wanted her to um, make an, an emergency landing, uh, which they did decide to do. And, you know, I continued to palpate blood pressures. I mean, she got her, I mean, her blood pressure palpable got up to 118 palp. So I knew she was in, in good shape. My fluids were um, beginning to dwindle. And so I asked if they had any more fluid if I needed it, but they did not. There was only the one bag. Gave me a little cause for concern, but I, you know, I could see that she was responding quite fine. And um, they asked if I would sit with her until they landed. And I said, of course I would. That those were kind of the next steps. And we were able to converse a little bit um, because I didn't have anything to kind of lock off her IV with. I had to, even though I was out of fluid, I, I just stopped the fluid before air ran all through the tubing, just kept that all hooked to her while we were waiting to land. Where did the, where was the emergency landing? Kansas City. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So you get on the ground there and, and obviously, you know, there's just a lot going on. Um, you know, and, and certainly, you know, there's probably other things that are being done to help keep the other uh, passengers. That's the word I was looking for, passengers. Uh, so the, obviously there's a lot going on and they're also, you know, keeping the passengers informed that there's going to be this landing and things like that. Um, at what point do you start to be cognizant of what's been going on around you, um, you know, as you're getting closer to being on the ground? And then what's that transition like once you're on the ground? I was really relieved since, of course, I felt that you know the supplies that we had on board were were limited the area of the plane it's it's just very congested you know if she did deteriorate after initial treatment um i didn't know how much else you know i'd be able to provide so i i was really relieved that we were making an emergency landing um it was nice cuz of course at that point she was talking to me some she was talking to her daughter some um we made the landing and taxied to um, the gate that we were given and um, emergency services personnel came on and I kind of gave them a little rundown of what I had done. Then she was gone. <laughs> you know, she and her daughter got off the plane and she was gone. And here I am just kind of walking back to my seat. <laughs> <laughs> um so is that when the the adrenaline dump happens for you? Are you kind of, you know, decompressing and, you know, uh, you mentioned it, you know, in retrospect, you sit there and go, what could I have done differently? Is that all kind of going through your head? Or are you like, I'm going to go back and watch my movie and let's just get in the air and get on our way? No, I, I, I think um, so on walking back to my seat, of course, I'm, I'm going by other passengers and there are some that are clapping for me and saying thank you and, and I think I was in a daze until I got to my seat and I sat down and you know, there my my husband's next to me and we actually had our three seats to ourselves. So I didn't have to share that space with anybody, but I just kind of like let out a big 
sigh of relief probably. <laughs> and I was like, wow, like, <laughs> whew. one of the flight attendants, you know, came by and, um, you know, just again said, thank you so much and whatnot. I did actually um, get uh, the daughter while we were waiting to land, she actually did write down her cell phone number for me because I asked her if it would be possible for me to get an update on how her mom's doing after she was checked out. I did put that like right into my phone and I sent a, a little text and I just said my name and um, that I would be checking in with her later to get an update on her mom. Things turn out okay in the long run? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she went and she had an evaluation at that time. And she was, by the time when I landed in San Jose, I found out that she was given um, the clear to continue traveling. Um, she, her em emergency evaluation was fine. And then I actually reached out to the daughter again um, because my local newspaper here asked me to do. Um, a little story. And I just kind of felt like I should check in with them and make sure that that was okay. Sure. I, of course, I wasn't going to give any personal information. Right. Um, you know, I checked in with my own hospital to see if I'd be putting myself at risk for anything. And I was, I was given the go ahead. And the daughter actually told me that she had since also been checked out by her primary care provider and was given a clean bill of health. Well, that's got to be the best news out of all of this for you. Oh, it was absolutely like, I can't imagine not knowing what happened after I'm funny that, you know, I actually did think to ask her if I could have her cell phone number, but <laughs> I'm so happy that I did because, you know, and I was able to tell the flight attendants as well. Um, some of them were changing in San Jose, but, you know, they said that they see these things happen and they never know what happens to the patient. And so I was happy to be able to tell them that at least her initial evaluation had gone fine and she was given the clear to start traveling again. How many hours later do you finally get to San Diego from the time you left uh, New Hampshire? So we left New Hampshire about 7.30 in the morning Eastern time. And we were supposed to land at 2.30 Pacific time, which would have been 5.30 our time. Um, but actually, we got there at 4.30. So so it was a good 12 hours. That's, a, that's quite a travel day for you. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And of course, I have to ask, how many times did you tell the story while you were in San Diego? Because I'm sure this started to spread. Obviously, Terry Foster, our president, was uh, made aware of this and shared that you know, as part of General Assembly to give you a little shout out in front of the, the audience there, you know, 800 or so delegates. But how many times did you tell the story you know, during your time in San Diego? Well, I I did tell it a few times, actually. I had, um, New Hampshire is small, so we have a small group of delegates. Um, so I um, did text the New Hampshire ENA president, Stacy Savage, to kind of let her know what had happened on my, on my route there. And she had shared it with the other delegates. And so I show up to General Assembly um, Wednesday morning of course, all this excitement started Tuesday, was yeah. Tuesday. And um, I go into General Assembly and I, you know, I first time there, don't really know much <laughs> of anybody. I go through the little buffet line and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to pick a table. You know, they, they say that they're always happy to have new people and whatnot. So I happened to pick a table, not knowing that two of the New Hampshire delegates were sitting there that I do know. <laughs> 
Um, so I sat down and um, we were sitting with some of the nurses from Maryland. My two friends from New Hampshire actually started to tell them about um, what happened to me on my way there yesterday and that I was a first time delegate. And so they were asking me about it. And I'm talking to this woman named Sue and this woman named Lisa and not thinking too much of it. And then I go into where uh, the big conference room where all the delegates are put and, you know, we find our seats and I'm sitting next to, um, sitting next to our New Hampshire ENA president and they start the opening ceremonies and they have all the past presidents um, come through and whatnot. And I see this woman, Sue, that I had been talking to um, going down the aisle. And of course, um, Jean Prell, she's from New Hampshire and she's on our um, state council, one of our state council members, she's the secretary and she holds a couple of positions, honestly, but I see this woman, Sue. And so I don't know if I asked Stacy about it or whatnot, but somehow I became aware that that was Sue Shahi. You know, I'm just like, are you kidding me? I'm, <laughs> I was sitting there talking to Sue. I mean, like she wrote the book. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, <laughs> so I was just kind of starstruck the whole general assembly, you know, and then uh, I think after one of our breaks, um, the Lisa from Maryland is the one that came up to me. She's like, you got to go tell Terry. I want you. And she like brought me up with her. And that's, you know, I had like 45 seconds to tell Terry. <laughs> I asked for a picture with him. And then, you know, everybody's back from break and he had me stand up and gave me recognition. And it felt really, really great. Um, I was just awestruck um, with the whole general assembly process. And, you know, I've already let my, my state council know that I hope that I always get to go to general assembly. I just, that was just amazing to me, it's, the whole process. And it's like being on a whole new level of being an emergency nurse. You know, you're, you're helping to to make decisions on where ENA is going to go. What are they, what are they going to focus on? Um, you're listening to people that have worked hard to make proposals that they believe in. And then you hear debate about it. Um, I mean, honestly, when they asked me to be a delegate, I had no idea what that meant. No idea. I knew I was going to be voting on things, but I, I had no idea all the work that people put into um, these resolutions, I just was amazed at kind of the whole gamut that these resolutions run and that I was being asked to participate in deciding if this was something that ENA should focus on or not. And somewhat um, coincidentally, there's there were two resolutions that revolved around uh, availability of certain types of things on aircraft. Um, so that yes. must have, that probably hit you a little bit differently in uh, in retrospect to going, huh? I didn't think about that until in this context until after this trip, you know, cross country. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It it just was absolutely amazing to me. I worked hard on my nursing career. Well, I'd like to say all of my life. You know, I entered nursing as an associate degree nurse from a very small community college. 
um, I set a goal to become, and initially I worked in ICU. Well, of course, in a small critical access hospital, we only have 16 beds. So um, you kind of work everywhere in the right. hospital. I've done OB, I've done OR, I've done ICU, I've done cardiac rehab, charge nurse, outpatient, and ED. Um, and so I set a goal to get my CCRN. So I got that in 2004. And then I, I set a goal to get my CEN and I got that in 2005. And then I kind of off and on worked on getting a bachelor's degree, which I finally got in 2017. And in the last, um, in the last two years, I've gotten my trauma nurse certification, my um, pediatric emergency nurse certification, my critical care transport certification, and um, flight nursing certification. So I've worked hard. And to see all of these people who have been so influential in one place, I got a picture with Patricia Kunz Howard. I got a picture with Jeff Solheim. You know, I saw Bill Light there and I, I watched his CPN review. Kristen Klein, uh, she actually was one of the authors for one of the resolutions. I got a, a picture with the president-elect coming in. Um, it just, I was awestruck, you know, and then I, I sit there and I realized the very first morning there, I was sitting with Sue Shady having a conversation. <laughs> It definitely sounds like it was a whirlwind for you and all in a good way. And you know, this episode being a part of Emergency Nurses Week, um, certainly it's an opportunity to shine the light on uh, nurses for everything they do. And, and I'm glad you got into a little bit of your journey as well, because uh, it shows the commitment. It shows the dedication that you and, and you know, thousands of your peers you know, around the country, around the world have to continue to grow in what they're doing. And, you know, all of that time and commitment and dedication, it shows up every single day in the work you do, but then it shows up in moments like, like you had, and many of your peers have had as well, uh, where you're uh, traveling somewhere and you are it in terms of care. And so it sounds like everything, um, everything happens for a reason. You were in the right place at the right time and you got, a, you know, the right outcome and, and Made a made a lifelong memory on your way to uh, to doing something that you clearly you know, uh, really enjoyed the experience that you had in San Diego. So, uh, Marcy Ducre, I appreciate you being a part of the ENA podcast today. Thank you very much for the invite. Um, I still feels a little surreal, and I hope that I sound okay. I guess <laughs> <laughs> you've done a great job, and you know clearly, you know I, I joke about this every time we do interviews for podcasts and other things that. Uh, you do, and, and you describe doing something that I cannot even imagine, which is trying to stabilize and work with a patient, um, you know, in midair when, you know, you're, you're trying just to relax for a long flight and you jump right into action and you do that without a, missing a beat and you do it calm and you do it cool and collectedly. Um, but then, you know, we record things, we do podcasts, we do videos, and I've never seen so many ED nurses become so shy and so scared in their lives as when you, you interview them for something. So, uh, but you've done a great job, Marcy, and clearly you did a great job uh, on your flight uh, a few weeks back on your way to San Diego. So happy Emergency Nurses Week to you. And with all that, I thank everybody for listening to the ENA podcast and hope you'll join us for our next episode coming up real soon. To learn more about ENA or to become a member, visit ena.org backslash membership.